If you have your Bible this evening, stand up and hold your Bible above your head and bear witness of God's Word. It'll be the authority that we use tonight. Is that okay with everyone in here? Amen. Amen. Show your Bible to the person around you. Tell them that you're glad to see them here tonight. And then you may be seated, please. Turn, if you will, to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2. When you find your place, say, I have it. In these past weeks, we've been doing a Bible study called the philosophy of life. And this will be our fourth week on the Bible study. It might be our final week. I don't think so, but it just depends on how we get through um, what we have to get through this evening. I should say what we get to get through this evening. I'm not sure how long we'll stay on each point, so I'm not sure whether it'll be this evening or maybe next week or maybe the week to come, but we'll do it until God says, hey, this is the end of it. And so let me begin by talking about the philosophy of life like we have each week. Everybody has a philosophy of life, and I've given you examples each week of different things that people think different things that people live by. My wife asked me today, she said, well, she was listening. She teaches the kids on Wednesday night, so she listens to it on the podcast afterwards, and she was asking me, she goes, well, in all the philosophy of life, why haven't you given them the philosophy of life at our house? (laughs) Which I've stated to my kids ever since they were young, and something would happen where they would do something that we had said they shouldn't do, and they get hurt, And what would I tell them? If you're going to be dumb, you've got to be tough. And I would let them cry, telling them this is going to make you tough, this is going to make you tough, but if you're going to be dumb, you've got to be tough. But I corrected her and I said, you know, that's not a philosophy, that's just a saying, okay? That's a saying. It's not a philosophy that you live by. You can incorporate it into your philosophy of life, but the philosophy of life that I'm talking about is the way you see things, what you hold is true. It's what motivates you. That might be something that stops you from doing something, but your philosophy of life, how you think about life, where you are, where you're going what life is about, that's what motivates you to do what you do. And then we've talked about God's truth. I've called it God's philosophy, but I don't want to be corrected on that because I've said it too many times. It's not really God's philosophy, it's God's truth. But when we compare our philosophy with God's truth, we could say our philosophy compared to God's philosophy. You see, he gives us every detail of the way that we should think. But then we have our own philosophy of life, what suits us the best. And as we went over this these past weeks, we can tell that there's never been a time for us to study this that's more important than this particular time. Because if you look around you right now in society, all that you will see is our society slipping into man's philosophy of life that is an anti-God philosophy. An anti-God philosophy. What does that mean? That means that that philosophy of life that man is stating now is not supported by the truth of God. If the philosophy of life is supported by the truth of God, you're right on track. But if you look around today, would you say that it is? Well, I wouldn't say that it is. So I'll speak for us all. You had a chance to. If you want to disagree, you had your chance. It's over, right? The world I'm living in, 
I'm seeing everyone's different philosophy of life and I'm scratching my head and I'm thinking, how in the world can people think this way? But then I've also read what Paul said when he wrote to the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians 2.9, which said that when man does not have the Holy Spirit, then the things of God are foolishness to him. So what is our job? We can't just say, well, they just don't know. Our job is to go ye therefore and make disciples of them, teaching them, right? To observe all things whatsoever Jesus said he has commanded, and lo, he's with us always, even unto the end of the world, right? So it's not just enough for us to sit here and say, what are those people thinking? We're supposed to be that light. We're supposed to be standing on God's truth, which will debunk man's philosophy. You think, well, the voice on the other side is too big. Too big? Bigger than God's voice? No way. We're minimizing God. You see, when we stand for the truth, God will get his message out. He's always got his message out. And you might think you're talking to somebody that's totally going to disagree with everything that you say, and they might do it to your face. But understand, God made that person. He can convict them in the quietness of their day when they're riding somewhere, when they're sitting alone. Your words will ring to them. Your word will never return void if it's God's word. So speak it to them. Speak God's truth to them. Why? They're battling their own philosophy. And so have all of us. We talk about that world out there, that worldly world. All of us can raise our hand and say, we're guilty at all times in our life of going in our own philosophy and not going with God's philosophy. Anybody else in here? What happens to us? We convince ourselves of something that we think is right, and sometimes we'll even marginalize or we will... We will excuse ourselves from something we know God says for some kind of justifiable reason that we think makes sense because it's our own philosophy of life. True? How's that work out for us? Not too good. You see, it should be clear for us to see today in our society, when you see a society that's turned from God's truth to a philosophy of life that rejects God, rejects God as the supreme authority of man, rejects the word of God as the standard of right and wrong. And when we start seeing our laws change, where we start seeing things accepted that God says are wrong, and when we see the rejection of God's truth and principles being taught to the next generation, and we see them not just being taught, but celebrated, then you can see mankind pushing and promoting his own philosophy over God's. That is exactly what we're seeing. Not just something that goes against God, but something being celebrated that goes against God. Now, he's your father. Is he your father? He's my father. Is he your father? Would you let someone celebrate and promote something against what your father says, your earthly father says, if you knew that he was taking care of you, that you depended on him? We wouldn't, would we? So boldness will be the next thing that we look at. Because so many times we're just not bold enough to stand for the Lord. In this way of man's philosophy, the reason that it took such a foothold, and you see it so evident to where when you're watching that thing on TV and you're shaking your head as a Christian and you're saying, hey, I can't believe we got to this point. We got to this point because we quit being bold in God's truth and we let the other side begin to share their philosophy and not stand against it. We don't have anybody to blame but ourselves. You see, the ultimate source of any philosophy of life that opposes God is Satan himself. 
But what we need to realize is that Satan uses individuals to carry out his plan. He uses the pride of mankind. He uses their desire for power. He uses their desire to, to have a position. But we also have to realize the reason that man's philosophy is so widely accepted over God's philosophy or God's truth is because mankind wants to accept a philosophy that allows them to be in control of themselves. Let me say that again. Unless there's anybody in here that doesn't want to be in control of themselves. Isn't that, all, isn't that in us? You know what? We all, want, we all want control. If you didn't want control, you would have never had an argument with your wife. You would have never had an argument with your husband. You know why? You want control. It's the way we're made. And it's hard for us to give up control. But do you know, in order to come to God, you actually have to give up control of yourself and recognize him as the supreme authority, the one that's in control, the sovereign God. And it's, it's amazing to me how we do that. You're so sincere when you get saved. You accept God as the authority. You come to him, you cry out to him, and you say, God, I'm giving my life to you. I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know that you're in control. You're weeping, you're coming, you're submitting. And then after you accept the salvation, it's almost like there's certain parts of our life we want to take back control of ourselves, right? And then let somebody come along that teaches us something that has a little bit of God, but a little bit of what we want to say in it that doesn't happen to be God's truth. And people gravitate towards that. The Bible says that people have itching ears. They go to hear what they want to hear. We do that. A lot of churches are very full today of people that are going to hear what they want to hear. And the churches know that's what they want to hear. They wouldn't dare say anything that offended them because it's about telling people what they're wanting to hear. You see, we look today and we think, yes, there's a lot going on around us about the philosophy of life. Unbelievers just do not believe the same thing that we do. But I want to tell you, this doesn't just happen to unbelievers in the unbelieving world. This can happen to churches. It can happen to so-called Christian circles. This is what was happening to the church in Colossae that we read about in Paul's letter. When we began to read Colossians chapter 2, you'll see that Paul was trying to minister to these churches to get them to mature. But the false teachers who were coming into these churches were claiming to possess this secret wisdom and a certain revealed knowledge that only they had. They came to them because they were spiritually elite. They wanted the people to understand that I've got this super connection with God. And so they were giving them this new philosophy of man. It wasn't God's truth. And Paul steps in, and we're going to read this. Paul steps in and says, hey, this is not what you learned when you got saved. All of a sudden, there's people that are coming into the church, church that are teaching a different truth than what I taught you. And they're claiming the authority that they have, that they have this this secret wisdom, they've been revealed something by God. I thought this was pretty neat, having written this Bible study weeks ahead and going back. I, you know, it's always where God will show you something. And I was, I was watching something in the early morning hours the other, the other week, and I, I saw on there a guy standing there talking to the people, I guess, that were up that early, telling them about this this conversation that he had with God. 
This conversation that he had with God, it was so, it was like me and you sitting here having a conversation. And I would say, remember Barbie, when we talked about this or that, and you told me this or that. So this, it was just like this guy had just been talking face to face with God. And by the end of the time that he got through talking, you were supposed to send him a certain amount of money that he got around to in the conversation that God had told him that he was able to do some kind of things for you. And he was at such a, a spiritually elite place. We call it spiritual elitism, where you're closer to God than the people around you. Do you know there's some people that are looking for that? They're looking for somebody that, that is closer to God and they'll gravitate towards that, that person. And they'll, they'll pick up their philosophy of life, right? We know that happened back in about 1830 to a man named Joseph Smith. Yes, I called it out, right? What happened there? What happened is all of a sudden he had this meeting with God and God revealed something to him through this angel and showed him something that had been hidden and revealed all these things. And do you know that as of the beginning of this century, there were 16 million people that were following that, that man's philosophy. So I want to read to you Colossians 2. For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, Paul writing to them from a distance, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the fullness of assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now listen to verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. This warning that we see from Paul was to a church that he loved, to a church that started strong, to a church that began to listen to the philosophy of man, and so they began to compromise the word. And when we read this, we'll see that this secret wisdom that these people thought that they were revealed, this knowledge only they had that came to them because they were spiritually elite, they were trying to incorporate their own philosophy and say that it came from a divine source. What Paul was telling them that we see in verses 2 and 3 is that only in God the Father and in Jesus Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hid. Look at verses 2 and 3. He says in verses 2 and 3 that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love into all riches and the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if I were to come in here this evening and I were to tell you that God revealed something to me, that would not be a false statement. I would hope as your pastor studying his word that he does reveal things to me. It's my position 
and my calling to have a church body. And in this position, he would reveal things to you. But if I come in here stating that I came up with this on my own and that I had a thought and this is the way I see things, then I would be giving you my wisdom or my knowledge. Understand the generator of all wisdom and knowledge, what he's saying is God. It all comes from him. It can't come from my philosophy. As a matter of fact, I'm convicted by just about every message and I'm the one that's preaching it. Why? Well, because my philosophy always in my flesh battles against God's truth. You say yours does, Pastor? Yours does also. We have a fleshly nature and it battles against God's truth. So we have to keep hearing God's truth or, listen, our own philosophy will take over. Miss four weeks of hearing God's truth. And tell me if you're as close to the Lord as you were before. Ever happened to you? Take a little vacation from hearing the word of truth, even just because you're busy. How do you feel? Do you feel as close to him? No. Why? Because your own philosophy starts to take over again. Or spend four weeks in here not listening. You say that would never happen. Sure it does. I've spent weeks in the church when I was growing up and I stepped away from the Lord. I spent weeks in the church present, but not listening. You say, do you think, do you think it happens in here? Do you think one of us are doing that? I take it into consideration every time that I'm preaching, right? But I know his word won't return void. I know that we battle with our own philosophy. Why is this this way? Why is that that way? I think it should be this way. This is the way that I'm going to go about it. You know, we sit and we think, well, hey, everybody's got a right to their own philosophy. And that's the mindset today. Everybody's got a right to what they think. You know, they absolutely have a right to it. But our job as believers is to point out God's truth to them. You have a right to believe what you want to. But we don't have to live under your right. Understand what I'm saying. If you sit and say, well, hey, I don't think that you should speak against this particular religious affiliation because they've got a right to believe the way they believe. They do. Everyone has a right to believe. They have a choice to believe the way they want to believe. But understand, if they're stating a philosophy that goes against God, you have a responsibility to state the truth. To be mean to them? Absolutely not. But it amazes me how so many people want to follow certain, certain philosophies that say that we can accept and get along with anybody's philosophy of life. And that's what we need to do when it clearly states, and we talked about it last week about pluralism, it clearly states you cannot worship God and worship any other God. You can't worship God and accept any other God. So, as we read this, we understand that Paul was saying true wisdom and knowledge did not come from man's philosophy. It came from God's truth. When we read verse 4, we see that Paul says, I'm telling you this so that no one deceives you by their enticing words to convince you to accept their philosophy as truth. 
enticing words. Paul actually says, no man should beguile you with enticing words. What are enticing words? Does that mean that someone is a good speaker? No. You know, if I like steak, it doesn't matter how much, how much, how well that waiter talks about the lobster, how good of a speaker he is. I've had lobster before and I didn't have a good experience. If I want steak, there's no way he can convince me to have the lobster. There's no way. It doesn't matter how good of a speaker he is. It's those enticing words. What I'm saying, enticing, he has to tell me something I want to hear. You get what I'm saying? So we can say all we want to about these false teachers that came in here, but a false teacher, in order for them to be successful, has to have an audience that wants to hear what they're saying. That's the big thing. We as Christians so many times want to point and say, look what they're saying. They're saying it because somebody's listening. They're saying it because somebody wants to hear it. Paul said in verse 6, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, meaning if you've accepted God's truth about who he is and who Jesus is and who you are, he says, then so walk in him, meaning live in the truth that you accepted, not in what someone else says is truth. Live your life by the picture and the pattern of Jesus Christ. Live out your life by Jesus' philosophy of life. He said, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. When he says rooted and built up in him, we're planted in Jesus when we accept him as our Savior. How many of you in here are saved? Raise your hand. Amen. When you were saved, you believed on Jesus Christ as your only way to get to God. If you did, say amen. amen. You believe that if you did not accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior at that moment in time, you were separated from God. Your sin separated you from God. Amen. And you believe that Jesus Christ and him alone, he was he was the son of God, but he was God in the flesh and he gave his sinless life as a sacrifice for your sin and you had to accept his sacrifice. So when you accepted his sacrifice, you admitted to God who you believed he was. You confessed who you were, a sinner, and then you ask him for forgiveness. And then, knowing that he was the authority, you you vowed him, you came into a covenant with him that says, I give myself to you. Paul is saying, that's how you were rooted. That's what you were grounded in. Don't try to be rooted in something else. Don't, don't accept another philosophy over God's truth. You don't need to change it. That's what you were planted in. That's what you were grounded in. That's what you were rooted in. So you don't need to change it. You don't need to have somebody else come and tweak it. You were saved by the truth of God's word. What does Romans 10, 17 says? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? Amen. Then why in the world, if you're rooted in the word of God, would you need to grow in another soil? And that's the point that he's trying to make. Paul says, live your life growing in the truth that you're rooted in, which is God's truth. He's implying here that a Christian doesn't need to leave God's truth that he's grown in 
that he's given us. Where did he give it to us? Well, let me start with the Old Testament. God began to give his truth in the Old Testament through the scriptures, through the prophets, through the words of Jesus himself. And then through the apostles, through the Holy Spirit, through the written word of God. God's truth is all around us, right? Why would you need to step outside of any of those things? If you step outside of any of those things, then you're going to grow in something else. Hold on. What are you going to grow in? You're going to grow in man's philosophy. Anything outside of God's truth is man's philosophy. You see, our faith will become established and strong as long as the source of truth is strong. Verse 8, then we get the warning. Verse 8, he warns us about this false truth that comes from man's philosophy. He says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of man, after the rudiments that would be the principles of the world and not after Christ. Beware, what does that mean? Be on guard. Be on the lookout for this philosophy of man that will be taught to you by people who want to get you to accept their thinking. Beware because this philosophy of man is a philosophy of worldly influence of Satan. It's not a philosophy that Christ approves of. It's a worldly philosophy, not a godly philosophy. When we say something is worldly, it doesn't just mean that it exists in this globe on this earth. It means that it's not of God. And it's all Satan-inspired. Boy, it scares people when you say Satan-inspired. You know, even last Wednesday night, when I got home and I was having my big old bowl of cereal, which, you know, that is my tradition, I decided to watch a little news program. And man, they were exposing this guy that was the root cause of all the bad things that are happening in America, this billionaire that was supporting all these things, and it was his fault and his influence and people that he was doing all these things. And I'm sitting there thinking, listen, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. It's Satan influenced. You might put a, a person's face or name on it. You say, well, listen, I believe everything that news uh, source says. That's your first problem. Because I've listened to it too. And you know what they don't say? They don't say that God is the one and only true living God, that there is no other God. They don't say that the things that God stands against are wrong. They don't say that the only way to get to God is through Jesus Christ. If they're not saying that, don't use them as a source of truth. I don't care how much of their political opinion you agree with. Because if you agree with that little bit, then their philosophy is going to go in. And before long, you're accepting something that has nothing to do with politics, but everything to do with your spiritual walk. Be careful. You know what I would say? Beware. That's what he's saying. And you know, a large majority of Christians have been sucked in to believing a philosophy that goes along with a lot of the things they think, but they don't realize, well, hey, they've just celebrated this same day or week that God would stand against. You're going to support that and listen to them as a source of truth? You say, well, where is the source of truth? Well, it should be right here tonight. It's in this word. It came from the prophets. It came from Jesus himself. It came from the apostles. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from God's written word. It should come from me. It should come from you. That's where the truth comes from. But it all has to be validated, supported by God's truth. That way it's not our philosophy. Now... We've absolutely seen this happen 
over the years in churches who've began to accept the things that God clearly calls sin. We've seen it. We talk about it a lot. There's things that God clearly calls sin, but society accepts. Many churches have compromised the truth because they've accepted a philosophy of man that opposed the truth of God. The progressive church has progressed, sure enough, to their own philosophy. That's what they've progressed to. How in the world can you accept something just so that you won't offend somebody when God clearly stands against it? How can you say that, well, society is saying this, and so we need to go along with it? The things that I've seen happen in these past years, I scratch my head and I wonder, how in the world, how in the world could people be thinking this way? But then you see the church accept it. And you see different religious institutions accept it so that they can be inclusive or accepting. And when that happens... Then you have a philosophy that's marred. You have God's truth that's marred with man's philosophy, which is a, it's a theology that comes from the devil because it's not clearly God's truth. They've taken away or added to. And that's a big bullseye for us. That's a big thing that you know, us Christians like to talk about. The ones that want to stand on the truth, we talk about those things. But I want to tell you something as equally equally as disturbing. You see, we also see this in churches that continue to focus on the legalisms that they've added to God's Word. Yeah. See, we always talk about those progressive churches that, well, listen, they've compromised the Word and they're standing against that. And you see what they've got there? Look at the colors and the flags that they're flying. And look at what they're doing, what they're standing, who they're supporting. But do you realize there's a lot of churches and they have that spiritual elitism where they've taken what they say is God's word and they've put in the traditions of man. They put in their own legalisms, which the Bible doesn't mention anything about. And that's what they're preaching most of all on a Sunday. And they might throw in something else, but you're not going to hear that adamant message of salvation. You're going to hear how you're doing something better than the other people because some legalistic thing that you're observing. And those people, those people become rejective of anybody outside. They're not leading people to the Lord because they've shut the doors so tight that they're not taking a message of, of Jesus Christ outside of there. They're taking a message of, hey, you need to be like us in order to get to God. Well, you don't need to be like them because they're sinners too. They're just hiding behind themselves. They need to be like Jesus to get to God. They have to accept him. So I'm going to tell you, I've experienced this. I'm not proud of it. But as I got saved and as I began to mature, man, I realized that the people that were outside of our church were just awful. Because in our church, we didn't do this and we didn't do that and we didn't do that. But listen to me, here I am. I'm this guy, that young guy that says, where is that in the Bible? Show me where that is. Well, this is what it means. You take this verse and this is what it means. I said, well, show it to me. Where, where is it? Well, this is what it means. You just have, this is what it's implying. 
You're too young to even ask. This is what God wants you to do. What happens is the spiritual elitism sets in and you're actually following, you're actually following what man's philosophy has said as far as how you have to be. It's not according to God's word. And I'll tell you what, I'm here tonight by the grace of God because I am so unqualified to be a pastor according to the things that I learned growing up. And for so many years, I ran from my calling because I figured by what I'd learned that I was disqualified. And then I realized the thing that they said I was disqualified on, I'd done way worse stuff than that. (laughs) God had forgiven me. But I began to realize that there was a certain thing to where we looked down on other people because their philosophy wasn't the same, but I couldn't find it in here. I'll give you an example. Turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. A little meeting Jesus had. Let me read this to you. You see, this is when man's philosophy in the name of God is an anti-God philosophy. But don't take my word for it. It can't be any more clear than this passage where you hear Jesus call it out. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. When they saw some of the disciples eat bread with with defiled, that to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands often, they eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why walk not the disciples according to the tradition? Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines, hold on, look at this verse, the commandments of men. Can I tell you what Jesus was telling them? You know, Jesus happened to know a little bit about the Word of God since he was there, right? Since all the sacrifice was patterned beforehand to him in the future. He knew what the requirements for the priest were even before they entered. But somewhere along the line, these Pharisees and scribes, and by tradition, they, they thought it'd be really good if, listen, before we do anything, we wash here, we wash here, we wash this pot, we wash this pot, we wash this pot. And you say, well, nothing wrong with that. If that was their conviction, I'm going to go ahead and state there is nothing wrong with that. But when they started saying that God said it, there was something wrong. Listen to me. This is what you run into in a, a lot of places that are so legalistic. They've taken what they believe and made it something God said. You can't even talk to them. Jesus said, you honor me with your lips, just as Isaiah said. 
You honor me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. Howbeit, in vain do they worship me. Ooh, that's a big deal. Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now, right out beside of that, you can write the philosophy of life. Their own philosophy of life. Whose philosophy? The philosophy of those men. And they had taught it so long that it became something they thought was the truth of God. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. And he said unto them, full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. I had a problem with this growing up in the church that I grew up in. I understood exactly the, that any church can have its rules. I understand that. And every church can have its dress code, and, and they should. But this is back in the 70s. And when you tell somebody that they can't come in a place and worship that's lost because of the way they're dressed, I understand if it was offensive, I can understand it. But it bothered me so much so that it impacted me that we could stand on a principle that you would have to explain for about 10 minutes to get it out of there what it actually meant because back when it was written, they actually did not wear what we wear. They wore tunics and robes. But somewhere or another, you figured out that this is what it said. And for that reason, you're going to go and ask this lady to leave church. And my heart was torn to pieces. I thought, what in the world? What if she's not saved? So I asked somebody, what if she's not saved? Well, that's what the sign says. The sign was something that was made by man. And as long as everybody that came in there agreed to it, then that's fine. But it wasn't the commandment of God that said, come on to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I just want you to come. I'm not saying it was wrong at all for them to have a, a way that they expected. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it was wrong to put it as a commandment of God when it was a philosophy of man. He went on to say and call them out and said, hey, you say, he said, here's a clear commandment of God, honor your father and mother. Read the rest of this. He says, and then you state when you're around your father and mother that it is Corbin. Let me tell you what that means. That means that it's set aside to God. He's saying that when you can help your mom and dad with your own riches, you're saying, hey, this is set aside to God because in God's word, it said if you've set something aside to God, it can't go anywhere else. So it wasn't really they were honoring their father and mother. They were saying, no, this particular wealth that I have is set aside to God, so I can't really share it even with my mom and dad. He said, you're breaking a commandment by your own philosophy, your own commandment. Read it for yourself sometimes. We won't go too much further into it. But you understand what the point I'm getting to. I hope you do. Turn to Acts chapter 17. You know, we've started just about every Bible study with this passage. Paul said, I need to preach a message to these people in Athens. 
But you know, he didn't point out any of all of their various gods. He didn't. What he called out was their philosophy of life. He called out that they were practicing such pluralism, saying that you could worship whatever God that you wanted to worship. And then he began to tell them about the one and only true living God. But here's what I want to tell you. What we need to know is that God has always given man the correct philosophy of life. God went out of his way to give us the correct philosophy of life, to make sure that man can know his truth about why we're here, what is our purpose here, where do we go from here, who God is, what he wants for us, what he wants to give us, what he wants from us. God spoke to man in the Old Testament so that man could spread God's philosophy to all of mankind. Remember, God's philosophy is God's truth from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Joseph to Moses to Samuel to Isaiah to Jeremiah to Ezekiel, the rest of the prophets all the way to John the Baptist. And then after John the Baptist, you had Jesus himself for for those years here preaching and proclaiming who was the voice of God. He was God with us. Jesus spoke for God to tell us the mind of God, the love of God, the judgment of God. In other words, Jesus was speaking for God so that we could know what to believe, so that we can know what truth to live by. And then Jesus left. Well, then you get the apostles. From those disciples all the way to Apostle Paul whom God gave his divine knowledge of life so that they could share it with others from which we get the New Testament scriptures. You see, all of these divine instructions and wisdom from God were given to man so that man could know God's truth. And God wanted it recorded so that man would know through the ages what God's philosophy is. So the recording of all of God's philosophy is what we call the Holy Bible. It's actually God's truth, the record of God's truth. The Bible is the most important written work because it gives us God's mind. It gives us God's philosophy of life so that we can know why we're here, what our purpose is, where do we go from here, so that we can see who God is, what God wants from us, what God wants to give us. And then we have something else that tells God's philosophy to us. It's called the Holy Spirit, this third person of God. This is God the Spirit that speaks to every man. The Holy Spirit speaks to all men to draw everyone to him. And then after we accept the truth of God by believing and submitting ourselves to God, the Holy Spirit actively leads us by continually speaking God's truth to us. Now, I've given you the Old Testament scriptures through the prophets. Jesus himself, the apostles, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, I would say God has went out of his way to give us his truth, to validate his truth. Then why are we seeing man's philosophy run rampant? Because we have even begun to accept man's philosophy. And this is what I notice. For the sake of a laugh, we'll watch anything that has a a laugh in it, even if it 
defiles God. We do, don't we? A lot of times, it's just, that's funny. It wasn't God-honoring. Entertainment. Oh, entertainment. You know what a big avenue, venue, nothing wrong with sports unless they're worshipped. Well, let me say that again. Nothing wrong with sports unless they're worshipped. The devil's using that avenue to spread a philosophy of life just because you want to get to seeing the entertainment. So you accept the philosophy that's in front of you and say, well, I'm just, I'm just, gonna, I'm just watching that because I enjoy that. Watching that, but it's supporting this. And so that philosophy of life is growing out of that. It's all around us. You say, what do we do? Just sit in our house? No, that's a cop-out statement. You know you don't have to. That's something that somebody that don't want to think any deeper and you don't have any defense would say. No, I guess you just can't have any fun in life without the pleasure and the sensation that you want from anything fleshly or anything sports. I just, I guess life is over, right? No, it's not. In order for man to have a philosophy other than God and choose not to believe in what God and God alone says, man would have to refuse all of these different ways that God has tried to give his philosophy of life to us. I'm convicted sometimes there's something that you want to see. Man, it's, it's such a good story. It's such a good plot. And I know they say this in it, but man, it's such a good story. It's such a good plot. It's entertainment. So what do we accept? We accept that it's okay, okay to take the Lord's name in vain. We accept that it's okay to blatantly have sex on this man and woman that are not married. We accept that it's okay for for the sake of, uh, I don't want to make any waves, it's okay for this person to say, well, hey, listen, you can do what you want to do. You can dress how you want to dress. If you want a man wants to dress like a woman, let him dress like a woman. If a woman wants to dress like a man, let him dress like a man. Hey, listen, maybe you had not read Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5, that says that a woman should never dress pertaining to a man. A man should never dress pertaining to a woman. What happened with that verse being quoted? God said it's wrong. And we're debating it and accepting it. And I'll be called out for saying it. It's God's truth. It's against God's order. It's as easy to see as the hand right in front of you. The only thing that would stop you from seeing it is that that man's philosophy has overtaken you. I know. I know. You think I'm in trouble? As long as I'm not in trouble with God. I'm going to tell you what Paul said in Acts 17. Here's what Paul told him. And I'm going to tell you why this account of what happened in Athens is so applicable to us. Because it's what's happening here. You see, they had rejected God's philosophy so that they could live by their own philosophy. But what makes our society worse is that at the time, they didn't have the knowledge that we have about what Jesus had taught. 
They didn't have the complete written word of God. You see, we do. And the majority of our society is rejecting God's philosophy. So it's depending on us being able to put the truth out there in love. Paul said in verse 24, he told them that the one and only God, Jehovah, created all things. He said, God is not a God that lives on this earth. In verse 25, he said, God is not an image that can be made and worshiped. God gives life to all men, sustains every man's life. In verse 26, he said that God had appointed a time for every man to be born, to die, had chosen where they were going to be born, where they were going to live. Verse 27, Paul tells them that God wants men to seek him and try to find him. If that man does this, God's not hard to find. He'll show himself to man. Listen to Paul's message. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. He's giving this invitation. Think about what he says here, that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Now listen, for in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring, for as much then as we are his offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold and silver and stone, graven by art and man's device. In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereth he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. Paul tells them, without God, they're nothing, for in him we live and move and have our being. Paul tells them, we're the offspring of God, we're made in his image. What is he saying? God is not created by man, man is created by God. Now listen to verses 30 and 31. You see what God tells them. He tells them that in the past, it wasn't easy or as easy for them to hear about the one true God. You know, if you lived in a Gentile nation, it wasn't as easy. But now, listen, but now, since you've all heard of these different ways for God's truth to be revealed to you, God commands every man everywhere to repent. Listen. The times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man. By who? By Jesus. Interesting here. You see, God commands man everywhere to repent, and then he tells him that the judgment day will come to every man that ever lived. They'll be judged based on if they accepted God's truth instead of their own which states that you have to worship him and him alone, that you have to come to him by believing and accepting Jesus Christ. When we say accept Christ, it means accept what Christ did by believing God's truth of Jesus Christ being our only way to get to God. Did you hear me say that tonight? Jesus being our only way to get to God. Now, I want, to hear, I want you to hear me say something clear. There is no other God besides our Father God. No other God. And there's no other way to get to God except through Jesus Christ. Now, don't you remember I said that? You agree with it, right? If you reject Jesus, you're rejecting God's truth, which has been revealed to you. I'll say it again. 
by the Old Testament saints, by the prophets, by Jesus, by the apostles, by the Bible, by the Holy Spirit. All that, you're rejecting that if you reject God's truth. Paul explained in this who God is, the one and only true living God. He explained why we're here. God created us to have fellowship with him. He explained what our purpose is, to live in fellowship with God, to love him, to serve him, to obey him, to tell others about him, to bring them to him. Where do we go from here? To be with God for all of eternity, to have eternal fellowship with him in heaven. Or if we reject God's philosophy, God's truth, we'll not have fellowship with God. We'll live this life without the peace that comes with fellowship. And we will not spend eternity with him in heaven. We will spend eternity in hell with everyone else who rejected God's philosophy. Man, that sounds coarse. In this Bible study, when we look at how man's philosophy of life is creating a society that has anti-God philosophies, we need to be aware that it's Satan's agenda to convince mankind to use their own philosophy of life to keep mankind separated from God. That's Satan's agenda. He wants those that are lost to stay separated from God, and he wants those that are saved to get out of fellowship with God. How does he do that? Well, he doesn't just appear to you and make you sin. What he gets you to do is to accept a philosophy of life that goes against God's truth, where you convince yourself that it's okay to do something that God said is not okay. It's that simple, isn't it? Isn't that crazy? For me to say that there is only one true and living God, like I did a minute ago, that he's the only one to be worshipped, the only one worthy of our worship. Do you know that that would be a statement that our society today is calling non-inclusive and unaccepting? Yes, I'm going to get on this train. Don't be surprised within five years if that statement that I just made is considered hate speech. And don't be surprised in a society that's so eager to label everyone that doesn't accept an anti-God philosophy as a hater. When actually, that couldn't be further from the truth, from God's truth. God loves us. He's made every provision for every person to be with him. He loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It couldn't be further from the truth. If we're trying to tell somebody there's only one God, you're giving them a message of love. He loves you unless you're mixing your own philosophy of legalism in there to tell them that they're just not as good as you. Then you're in trouble. Or if you're mixing it the other way that says, hey, you can come to God and you don't have to change anything about yourself. Then you're throwing your own philosophy in there. You see why this is so important? And to know that if you accept God's love by accepting his son Jesus Christ as your savior, then you're commanded to go out and bear witness of the truth that you've accepted, which is a message of love. God loves you. 
But God says, you, you can't worship me as God or worship other gods also. That's just part of the covenant relationship we have with God. Thou shalt have no other gods. Maybe this sounds familiar to you. Let me just read this to you. And God spake these words, saying, Exodus 20, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, let's see what he's trying to say. That short verse, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Does that need any explanation? Well, let's, what about the next one? Thou shalt not make any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. What do you mean to the third and fourth generation? God would do something. And I had somebody ask me, God would do something to the third and fourth generation. Here's what he would do. He would let you spread your own philosophy because that's what's damning the third and fourth generation. It's not God. It's that the philosophy of the parent was passed down to the child. Crazy. We always want to put it on God. As Christians, we're taking a message of God's love and God's forgiveness, but this message goes against man's philosophy to worship who he wants to worship. So this message is sometimes labeled hate when it's the opposite of hate. And this is a, it's a carefully manipulated thing that's going on here that you're watching. Even in the laws that are changing around you, people are so intoxicated with labeling things that I could be labeled quite a few things this evening. And boy, if they label me certain things, well, careful. It's not about, see, you see a lot of things going on now that have to do, and you're thinking about, oh, well, this person, uh, they don't have the equity that this person has, and they don't have the opportunity. It has nothing to do with that. This is all part of a bigger agenda to be able to put people and separate people and then say that this person is not accepting of this or this person is wrong because they're standing against this, and so you can be labeled. And it's all a matter to be able to label somebody that's sharing love, the love of God, as somebody that's sharing hate speech. And do you realize if they can stop something as hate speech, they'll lock me up. They'll lock you up. Why? Because I wasn't accepting of something that was anti-God philosophy. You think that could happen? I think that's what the plan is. But I'm not giving in to it. Because I don't think it has to happen. You say, oh, well, all this has to happen. All this has to happen. I've said that too, and I've told you, a lot of these things have to happen. But you're saying they have to happen in the next 10 years. I know that I want to be able to lead people to the Lord in the next 10 years. I want to keep sharing the truth. I think it could happen, but I'm not saying it's going to happen in my lifetime or your lifetime, but it could I see that everything is set up for Jesus to come back, but I'm not ready to roll over my back like a cockroach and give up because nothing is, because I don't have anything to do. I'm ready to share the truth of God. Are you? Yeah. You'll never fall. You'll never fail 
standing on God's truth. Probably have to stop there for tonight. We didn't get through, but we'll get through. I hope you understand how important it is to make sure that you continue to put yourself in front of God's truth. I hope you see how important it is to understand that anything that's not supported by God's truth is man's philosophy. And I hope you understand how Satan uses our own philosophy and other people's philosophy, mankind's philosophy, to separate us from God. That's why it's so important. It just so happens to be happening so evidently around us in our society today that we need to be able to call it out. In anger, absolutely not. In love, you have a message to take. God loves them. God wants them to be in fellowship with him. You say, how do you think you can fix all this? Well, start leading more people to the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit be guiding them. God's not done with us or we'd already be gone. You would be gone. I would be gone. When he's done with you, you're gone. You're still here, right? God loves us. Father God, I love you and I appreciate the opportunity to share your word tonight. I pray, God, that you would take your word and press it upon our hearts. Let us be able to understand, Lord, the error that we're seeing today. Let us be able to know, God, that you've given us opportunity to stand on your truth and stand in love and bring others to you for all that you've given to them, knowing that you've given us every avenue, Lord, to know the truth. Help us, Lord, in here tonight, the believers that are in here tonight, Lord, help us, Lord. Convict us when we're trying to listen to our own philosophy or listening to a philosophy that goes against your truth knowing it's going to separate us from you. Help us, Lord. Show us. And as, Lord, as your children bow before you tonight and pray for that help, give them that help, Lord. We live in a world where it's all around us. Our kids live in a world where it's all around them. Lord, as people pray for their children tonight, as people pray, give them strength. God, as their prayers for strength go up, give us strength, Lord, to stand for your truth in a world that's filled with man's philosophy. And God, tonight, if there's someone here that's lost, if they've never accepted your son Jesus as Savior, They've never stepped out of what they believe to accept your truth. I pray they see their need to tonight, Lord. Let there be nothing that stops them tonight. Let us not leave here, Lord, as pious Christians who are so elite. Let us leave here as just your children who are walking in the truth, rooted and grounded in you. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.